0: What is up, everybody? Welcome to a- s- That's not
1: how we start the podcast.
0: Welcome back to another-
1: Episode. Nope.
0: Welcome back to a, a special episode of Tuxedo Time After Show Edition, where we wear tuxedos.
1: No, you messed that up. No, it's Welcome it's back a- to another episode of Tuxedo Time, where we, t- where we wear tuxedos, and it is time, podcast edition, after show edition.
0: <laughs> okay. So many editions. Yes. Yeah. Okay. This is a special episode of Tuxedo Time. Mm-hmm. The after show edition.
1: And you may be asking, after show for what?
0: Well, why don't you tell us, Chris?
1: Well, we just released a helicopter travel series called Heading East. Standby.
0: Oh. Oh wrong one. No. Uh, what are you trying to pick? Where's
1: the where's the applause? There you go. (laughs) We we just released (laughs) our (laughs) second,
0: not the sad trombone. (laughs) -er. (laughs) Tromboner. Okay.
1: We released our second helicopter travel series called Heading Heading East. East. And this is not really like a sequel to Cold Island, but it was the second of our big helicopter travel series that we've done. Yeah. And we're really proud of it.
0: Yeah, we've been working on it for months and I really needed this project for my brain. And I'm very happy with how it turned out and satisfied. And I feel very fulfilled
1: Mm -hmm. now that
0: it's out into the world and it's done and we completed the thing. And
1: And you now feel like you need to hire an editor.
0: Wow. Like I never really understood before. I did understand. Like I know why people hire editors, but yeah, like the last month, two months, I've been editing from like early in the morning till late at night and weekends. And I don't like to do that. I like to have a healthy work-life balance. Mm-hmm. And I did not have a healthy work-life balance. And I very desperately need a vacation and <laughs> probably need to get an editor for the next time we do this, just for the all the ancillary content that we're doing. Cause, yeah.
1: That's stuff you could probably pawn off to an editor. Yeah. It would be hard to get across the essence of your idea if you weren't the one editing oh, it. Oh,
0: I would not hire an editor to do the series. It would be more so for like the, what's my camera bag video, right. or here's a tutorial that I shot that you can edit now. And it's just that's, kind of like following a shot list and a guide.
1: Right, that stuff's kind of more basic editing. But yeah, I, th- I feel like in these, they're almost like works of art.
0: Oh yeah, that's a That's nice how idea. I view them. Yeah. And the I'm not pieces. saying that
1: to like toot our own horn because a part of I mean your successes are, I can piggyback off of. Mm-hmm. but I get the same feeling from our YouTube projects as I used to when I would like draw
0: yeah, back in the day mm-hmm.
1: or make like art pieces.
0: Yeah. I yeah. think you said that before. I like that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's,
1: an ex- it's, I mean, film is expression. Yeah. And I think YouTube is just another iteration of film, mm-hmm. you know, it's a bit more raw and it's not, it's, you know, most of it's, it's done in a different sort of, it's almost its own medium itself, but it's kind of like a, I don't know, it's like film turn on its head. Yeah. A permutation, a combination or permutation of film.
0: I like that. It's funny, th- this whole project makes me feel like, um, I, I, I think I talked about this last year when we talked about Christmas or traditions or something, but normally around the holidays, like right after Christmas, I get really motivated to like do a project. And usually an idea could be something like what heading East was, but it would never come to fruition. So to finish something like this and do it to the level that we wanted to do it and really go balls deep on all of it, not only just the video and the trip, but like the art direction and like this set and like all that stuff, it's, it's excessive, but needed to happen.
1: Yeah. But I mean, that's like, you didn't go all out and all that extra stuff. Yeah. That wouldn't be you. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so. so what we wanted to do today on the podcast we've been a little bit slack with the uploads because we've been very busy somebody called it going dark they said I like when you guys go dark and then you come out with a series like this which I like I like I do like
1: that yeah going dark it's kind of on it's very on brand it is
0: very on brand so
1: whoever coined that kudos to you
0: yes so yeah we kind of went dark because we've been working on heading east for the last number of months so we wanted to do a special edition of the podcast just to like Basically, have an uncut, unedited—well, it's slightly edited—but like a a longer format thing where we could sit down and kind of do a series debrief, um, but answer your questions. So this format of this like after show, I think we're gonna keep doing this every time we do a larger project or a short film or something where we can just, you know, so we can dedicate a certain type of podcast episode to the series, and we might actually cut in some footage and just go a little bit. We don't normally do that for podcast because we want to try to do them quickly but the after show yeah. is a little bit special
1: it is yeah so if you haven't seen heading east go watch it now we'll put a link in the description box for watching this on youtube and if you're watching this on or if you're listening to this with your podcast app then just go to our youtube channel becky and chris why, on don't, YouTube.
0: You, why don't you give them the Cole's notes of like what okay was encompassing so
1: basically it's us wanting to explore destinations that are closer to our home uh i.e like the new england area um, parts of New York state and doing it the way we know how with our helicopter. And it's just kind of a bit of a different type of project than cold Island was, which is where we flew the helicopter back to Newfoundland, which was a massive, not just project, but also a massive flight. Um, and it was just a different, uh, a different spin on travel. So check it out. And, uh, should we get into the questions?
0: Yeah, sure. Well, we created a five-episode series, mm-hmm. which ranged between 10 minutes and 20 minutes about our trip. and oh, each, you me to
1: really explain it. Each
0: episode was in a different state. So we did New England. So obviously, if you're looking at the backdrop here, this is not a normal podcast set, but this is the Heading you set. Mm-hmm. Um, we did um, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. And then we did hit a couple of destinations in New York State as well.
1: On the way back. But yeah. you'll have to watch all that if you want to see exactly what we did.
0: Mm-hmm. Go and binge it. It was made to watch on your TV. We yes. made it to watch on your TV. So watch it in 4K. If you have a TV, watch it on the biggest screen that you have. Yep. And just like dim your lights, get a snack, and just like binge it.
1: Treat it like movie night. Yeah. And you'll see that the course, the uh, planned route we have back here, we did not take that route. We did not. So you'll have to watch it to find out which route we actually took.
0: And Why? Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's get into some of the questions. I've broken this down into sections. Mm-hmm. So, um, we've got like a couple of little things. We're going to talk about the series, uh, production questions. Mm-hmm. We've got art direction questions, mm-hmm. helicopter questions, and we're just going to do like a quick rapid fire.
1: Okay. You have a lot of plosives by the way. Do I? Yeah.
0: Should I do this? Would that be better?
1: <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I, I
0: think we need pop, 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 pop screens, pop. Anyway. Okay. Uh, so, well, first of all, this is you really do need to watch a series first. To, to or else kind of this get, podcast is not going to make any sense. sense. Um, something I noticed was that people were upset. They were disappointed that we didn't get the 12-passenger van.
1: Yeah, I was too.
0: So was I. I also
1: wasn't disappointed, though, that I didn't have to pay for the 12-passenger van.
0: Well, also, I'm not disappointed that we didn't have the stress of parking 12-passenger van. Yeah. the, it, par- the That 12-passenger van would not have fit in that parking lot. At our Also, stay. the
1: 12-passenger van was like three times the cost.
0: Yeah. Was it that, that much more?
1: Yeah, it was like $900. I never
0: knew what the final cost was on the car because it wasn't in the FBO when you pay for it.
1: It was like a few hundred bucks.
0: Oh, shit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
1: And that was even expensive when you consider rental cars. It used to be like 20 bucks a day. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm glad, but I, I do think it would have been a really funny...
1: It would have. It would have been a really
0: funny story for sure. Yeah.
1: But that's also like why we have sponsors too. Yeah. Because it makes spontaneous things like that, like a 12 passenger van being the only option. Yeah. Like if we didn't have sponsors that were helping us out with the trip costs.
0: It would be much more stressful.
1: I'd be more stressed about dropping $900 on a 12 passenger van.
0: And that's not to say that we just want to blow our sponsorship money. It's not that, but it allows us to be able to continue our trip and you right. know roll with the punches that come along with these weird exactly. trips that we go on. Yeah. Uh, also, speaking of our sponsors, I do want to say a thank you to them. This episode isn't sp- technically sponsored by them, but I do want to say a thank you to Blindstone, Cuts, and Millenote for coming on and supporting the podcast. We actually reached out to all these brands. So they didn't come to us. We came to them and they were cool enough to be like, yeah, let's, let's do it. And they were on board and saw the vision. And it's incredibly helpful to have them on board because th- we've been planning the series since April and we've been editing day and night and weekends since September, since we got back. So it's a huge time commitment and the trips are incredibly expensive. So it allows us to do the trip comfortably and feel good about spending that much time in the editing process to to, to bring it to you guys. Yeah, I
1: mean, these, these projects are very resource intensive. Yes. Money as well as time. Yes. And having, at least having some costs offset, it makes it more palatable, we'll say.
0: Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I, I wanna start off with the first question.
1: Oh, also about the 12-passenger van. Yeah. Um, I think we made a lot of people drunk who are watching the video. Oh
0: yeah, people are saying, take a shot every time you-, you Do you know
1: how it? many people said they're doing a drinking game <laughs> with the 12-passenger van?
0: <laughs> uh, so watch the series on a, on a weekend night and exactly you play your drinking yeah. game. Episode four, four? three episode three and then you'll be then you'll be fucking trashed for four and five (laughs) (laughs) let's watch it again (laughs) yeah okay so before we get into these sections um there's a comment here from dan yosa okay so dan made a comment this all of these are pulled from our youtube channel by the way i wanted to start with this one because i thought it was interesting he said i know you said these series are really fun and rewarding to make i'd be curious about how you view slash evaluate success as creators in comparison to normal tutorials, vlogs, lens series videos? Do you care about the viewership more less? The sponsors seem naturally fitting. Is the process of getting those wildly different from normal, given that it's a series? And I'd also be interested to hear if the video retention is markedly different on the episodes. Do you get extra leeway from viewers, given that they might budget the time to watch these more like a movie or do you find that viewers click off at different points like any other YouTube video so the bi- there's a lot of stuff in there to unpack but I thought that was a good one to start with because I think with series I think we look at the success of them differently like we're not looking as hard at views or retention rates it's yeah not- I mean
1: if, if a video bombs I mean, that's, from a view standpoint, then that yeah, you know, it still kind of sucks because you put so much effort into it, and
0: and even more so during the the series because we put a significant amount of money and effort into that's it.
1: That's what I mean, yeah. yeah. But at the same time, I don't know. I kind of look at, I kind of look at the su- success in a couple different ways. You can look at it sort of quantitatively and or qualitatively, and like quantitatively, it's more so like when you're talking about raw metrics, like is this getting the same amount of views as our videos normally get and YouTube's very very good about stuffing that down your throat because it tells you oh and they're
0: like this isn't doing as good as normal yeah. and you're maybe like, you, fuck sit, you maybe you should sit
1: maybe sit in the corner and reflect on why this video is not doing as well as it should be doing like, <laughs> uh... <laughs> yeah or it's like looks good for some reason people are choosing to watch this video more you know they give those like little the AI one liners but i think like from a success standpoint for these projects that we are we feel good about and we've poured a lot of effort into. I find the qualitative uh, measures better. And by that, I mean like the comments and the feedback that we get from you guys, from our friends uh, and basically our peers on YouTube who are also creators. And when the feedback from that respect is essentially unanimously good and people are stoked about it, um, then that kind of affirms my own feelings that we did a decent job or that we should be proud of this. Yeah, um, I do try to look at it though, like as an isolated sort of, insul- uh, as an insulated thing though. Like if I can say like I spent, we tried our hardest, we're proud of this from a standpoint of what we've made, mm-hmm. then that should be uh, our own measure of success. like going our also our, our own internal, barometer kind of thing, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I think the success for me is like, hey, we completed this massive project. It's consistent. it's better than the last one. In my personal opinion when I look at Cold mm-hmm. Island it's and more look cohesive. At point, it's more cohesive. We took, you know our own critiques from the last one and fixed them on this one. and it's always going to be a work in progress. but I think that the fact that we started it and finished it and put it out into the world and are happy with the results, and the way things look, Dude, that's to me, that's a, that's success. a success right there. Yes, one hundred percent. Now, I want to touch on the sponsors thing because um, he said, "Do you um, the sponsorships seem natural, um, and is the process of getting those different than normal?" So it's funny because getting sponsors for a series when it's not like a tutorial or kind of like a standardized type video, it's very difficult because it's such a creative project that it's hard to see the vision. It's like a new thing, right? It's not like I'm making a tutorial about how to do this thing. Therefore a brand could say, that's a great fit. Use my product or, you know, there's an integration there.
1: It's very literal.
0: Yeah. With the series, it's way more creative. And what we found, we reached out to probably 12 or 14 brands, I think. And what we found was that, um, Blundstone cuts and Melanote were such a great fit, I think, because well, first of all, Blundstone and cuts are lifestyle brands, not tech brands, and I think that's why it works. It works for them as well because there's an adventure component. You know, you're using the product and you like the product, but you're out in kind of the world, and it it just works. With Melanote, we plan the entire series with Melanote, and not just from the production side. But the actual trip itself, the itinerary, everything. Millanote is my brain. We're gonna do a full video on that because that's one of the things that I pitched to them is like, hey, I'd like to do a dedicated video. And they were like, okay. So we're gonna do a whole video on how I did, you know, all the planning with Millanote, but where this was such a unique project and a large project that it it was a great fit because we had a lot to show. It wasn't just like, oh, here's one mood board. It's like here's my like calendar. Here's my itinerary. Here's my, t- we were using every feature in Milanote to plan all sorts of different aspects mm-hmm. of the series. So it's definitely different and it's, it's harder to get sponsors for series. Like definitely this. it's
1: harder because sponsors, ha- you, you touched on earlier, sponsors have to make, take a leap of faith when you're pitching something to them that's outside the box. And like you said, helicopter travel series don't it's not really a
0: thing and it's also abstract it's not like okay we're gonna do a 30 second ad read or we're gonna do this specific thing it's like okay we're gonna feature your your products in the in the video Mm -hmm. and we'll put your logos in there and some brands just don't see value in that
1: right yeah and
0: and that's why we added on like we did so for for Blundstone we did a Instagram post which is a great fit because I'm obsessed anyway Um, and they also and we, we gave them photos and they posted as well. So that was kind of like a fun Yeah, thing.
1: you have to get creative with the deliverables. It's no longer just a, oh, we'll do a video about your product. We'll integrate your product because it's a tutorial. And that's the value. It's more so like, okay, well, we're going to put you as a leading sponsor. And yeah, there's going to be imagery of your product sprinkled throughout the video, but it's not going to be like, Wear cuts because they are really good quality shirts or wear blundstones because they look really cool on your feet or, you know, or use Millenote because it's great. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's it's a little bit more abstract from that and again, trying to convince people of value when it's outside the box can be difficult, but you get creative, you do the ancillary content, you do Instagram posts and even just creating, generating media for them to share as user generated content is also a value too.
0: Absolutely. Okay, so we're going to dive into the series production questions. So these are questions that are completely based on the pro- the creation of the series. <clears throat> some of these are going to be more extensive than others. We don't have to spend a lot of time on some of them. Don't, don't require a lot of time. Okay, so the first question is from Buff Spotting. Um, how long did it take you to plan the series?
1: Local spotter, 716.
0: <laughs> oh. Whoops. Uh, planning. Yeah. So in April... I decided that I needed a project because I felt like my brain was just melting away and I was not using any of my creative brain cells.
1: You just felt doing you were doing the same thing over and over and, and over, again. week after week. After and I week. was just
0: getting so tired of it and it, everything felt so slow. So I was like, I need a new project and I want a project that's not only like a production heavy project, but it has like heavy like graphic design, art direction side. I wanted there to be construction component And I just wanted to like use our cameras the way we used to use them pre-COVID and just practice storytelling and practice making videos again. So we started planning in April. The trip was in the beginning of September. We probably, I think we worked on it every single week up until then between, you know, the other videos that we were working on. And then once we got back from September, uh, I think it was like the 12th we were back. It was just straight editing until october 31st and then throughout as the series was being released we were finishing them
1: yeah, so. we're still finishing episode five
0: <laughs> yeah. episode five is up now but we are not yeah, yeah. It as, goes of, up as of
1: you guys seeing this you will as of you're watching this episode five will not have been done
0: yeah it's almost done i have yeah. that mix the audio so uh, many months i have the burpsies Yeah gross okay how many hours of filming did it take for a 20 to 30 minute episode that one's a little bit tell. oh judge. i don't know
1: because i don't know how much footage we have for the whole project we, we
0: have did- over a terabyte of footage but i don't know how yeah. many clips
1: mm, i mean the drone clips alone almost equated to a terabyte yeah but there's a lot of intermediate working files that were massive
0: yeah for sure i would say let's take vermont for an example, that was our shortest episode. Mm -hmm. We were at Basin Harbor for two full days. um, And we filmed, I would say, half of both days plus the evening. So probably a full, one full day to make a 20 minute episode plus like helicopter stuff on either end. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, you know, in the New Hampshire episode, we that was like three or four days, I think, of filming, uh, and that episode, of course, was longer. But we we did a lot of heavy cutting, so yeah, it's hard to hard to really say how many hours.
1: Yeah, because I don't really we don't really measure the footage in. It's like back in the day when we used to use like mini DV cameras, mm-hmm. or I did anyway. It was all, everything was measured in like time. Yeah, it's like oh, I have like I know each tape is an hour, and I have twenty tapes, therefore I have twenty hours of footage. Right, but now everything's digital; so it's automatically digitized. So you don't ever really like, you can't really add up. There's no like linear measure of how many hours of footage you have.
0: I would say that every time I went through and put like rough clips in the timeline, I would say I had between like 40 minutes and an hour of rough clips that got cut down too.
1: Right, but rough clips would be like things already cut down. Yes. So you probably had like double or triple that. Yeah. In footage. That's
0: a lot. Um, how do we record audio inside the helicopter?
1: Oh, we use um, pretty much exclusively a GoPro. And we have a basically a special adapter that goes in line with our headsets. So the plug from our headsets, instead of going plugging into the console, which is above up in the ceiling, it plugs into this adapter and then the adapter plugs into the console. And then it has like a little Y adapter, which has uh, a microphone jack out um, or an audio feed out, which we can put into the GoPro. Um, But sometimes we put a lav mic because the GoPro audio adapter has been notoriously unreliable over the years. It
0: was really good the whole trip. We didn't have one malfunction. No. There's been times we've recorded helicopter videos and had no audio. I guess because we
1: were using the old GoPro. Yeah,
0: I think so too. So we've
1: got an old, I think we use like a GoPro Hero 6 for that.
0: 8, I thought.
1: 8, no, the 8 was on the nose cam all the time. It's outside the helicopter on the nose mount.
0: Oh, does 6 have a screen on the front that has a countdown? Not a front face. Oh, yeah.
1: It's got a screen in the front, but it's just not a color Okay. One. It must be the six. Yeah. Yeah. So we use the six inside the helicopter. Very
0: reliable GoPro.
1: Yeah. Everyone, you know, I actually had somebody, I saw a comment and said, uh, wow, are those FPV drone shots uh, in the, like in the sunrise, I think there was, but it was dark. Was that, was that the new Hero 10? Really good low light performance. Like, uh, it was the Hero 6.
0: <laughs> Little from, neat noise toss on From
1: it. like years ago. Oh yeah. Deep noise is like the best. huge huge uh, secret.
0: I feel like we should do a video on our like five favorite plugins for making videos because boy, we have a number of them now.
1: We do. We do. Yeah. But we'll save that for another one.
0: Yeah. Um, What did you use for studio lighting shots in the hotels? So we, so Aperture released the P60X and the P60C and they sent us
1: I keep feeling it's like a workout.
0: I know. It's P90X, is what you're thinking about. <laughs> so, they sent us these lights, and I thought they would be a perfect fit for travel. So, for the helicopter series, we just took the P60X, which is um, just the bicolor one. It's not the colored one. Wait.
1: Yeah. So, they have an RGBW version, which is, which is the-,
0: the C color. Yeah. And the X is just the the
1: Yeah, remote. it's color temperature adjustable from amber to blue.
0: Yeah. So yeah. it's actually lighter because there's less hardware, I guess, in it. So we took that one. And it has a pop-out softbox. So thank you, Aperture, for sending us that. And it was so perfect for this whole thing because it was so compact. It's like a little tiny LED panel with a pop-out softbox. And we had this like teeny tiny palsy buff light stand that we've had for probably 15 years. Yep. And so we brought that and we had a piece of tinfoil as a reflector. And that's what we Which we
1: actually got from that hotel.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So we're going to do an entire video on our main channel about how we did all of those hotel studio shots where the light was. And we're just going to kind of break down like how we look, looked at the room and how we lit a couple of our favorite shots from the series.
1: Yeah, I think it was for what we brought. It was a pretty versatile kit, all things considered. Yeah. Oh, well, we had those little, those old school Sony MPF batteries for powering off grid. Yeah. Which so we only actually had to use tw- once. Once. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We used them on in the tenter um, when we were in Maine. Yeah. We used, that was the one time we used it off grid, but like with no power. And then the one set up where we didn't have studio lighting because we left it in the helicopter by accident was at the hotel <laughs> in the last episode and we just used window light and it yep. was like dropping quickly so we were, of course had oh, the yeah. A7S3. Had to le- lean on the
1: A7S3's low light capabilities. <sighs> yeah,
0: best camera. Um, okay, Watchmaker FS on YouTube says I'm an audio guy so naturally curious about the EQ used on the series, mics, recorders, mixing stuff. Oh my
1: god, Watchmaker you're going to be so disappointed in this answer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Plugins.
1: Yeah, we used um, well, we relied on Donna's tutorial.
0: So w- Chris and I aren't really audio files at all. Like, We're
1: so bad at audio. We
0: very much are like into the, the visuals part, which is
1: all is really classic for like video people on YouTube. It's like nobody cares about audio and
0: photography. Well, I mean, photography was like our main gig for a long time. So audio was kind of like, oh, we need to make this sound good, but like I don't know anything about audio, right? But Dunna knows a lot about audio because he's an audio like engineer. So he actually had a video about how to like easily fix your audio, and was like, "Ooh, this looks like a good one." And he had used these plugins by a company called uh, what is it called? Oh
1: my God, Acusonic or something? Uh,
0: Accusonus.
1: Yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah. It's it, well, we'll link it in the in the description box, but the yeah the plugin basically is an auto EQ, like it automatically EQs it. But it what it does is it puts it into a um, a graphical interface where like you can move a cursor.
0: AccuSonus. Yeah, So yeah.
1: but actually I found it like it it's worked really very well.
0: Good. It's very good for people who don't know how to do it like, like from I've, scratch.
1: I've got like a basic understanding of EQ, like basic. I don't. And it's like, okay, I, I know that if I want more like boominess that I need to up like the, the low frequencies and then like, I find it's like if I hollow out the bot like if I drop the mids, it makes it kind of sound like just, I don't know, crisper. But then like if I add a little spike at the in the high end somewhere, it makes it like kinda sound airy, you know. But I don't know enough to really massage the EQ like I could say like a tone curve for an image. It's just I just don't have the ear.
0: Yeah. So we And the
1: experience. I don't have the experience either. Yeah. So like, yeah, I guess it's like no different than like somebody who's not familiar with like image editing, trying to use curves to adjust an image. You know
0: what it's like? People who are doing video who don't really care or don't ha- know a lot about doing video, but they want their videos to look good, so they use lots.
1: Correct. Yeah. That's exactly what it's like.
0: Very helpful for us because yeah. we just don't have the knowledge base. Right. And, it, and it's a it's a big time commitment to learn that. Yeah. And it's just, you know, we, yeah. But what
1: it what I liked about it was, it was a triangle between, it was like airy, uh, clarity, clarity and, body. and body. And like, it, cr- it basically it's sort of like auto equated to get to like a, a neutral spot. And then if you want it to be a little bit more crispy, you could like go up to the airy, or if you want it to be a little more clarity, you go down, or if you wanted to have like more boominess, you could go to the body and you just move the dot in the triangle. So it made it easy for like noobs like us. Yeah, it
0: was very visual. And so these plugins were in uh, Adobe Audition. Mm-hmm. So we send all of our audio from Premiere over to Audition. That's our last final step when we make these videos. And so that's where we have the plugins, but we also do some like editing, just using their essential sound panel as well. Yeah.
1: And then for the audio itself, I mean outside of the interviews. The interviews any interviews to stuff we did, we had just basically like cheap lav mics.
0: And they were attached to the Rode wireless go 2s. Yeah. And yeah and then for like all of the vlog stuff, it's just the Rode Video Micro tried yeah. and true, baby.
1: Basic old $60 mic that we've been using since like 2016.
0: Yeah. And then of course the the GoPro stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Sophie Scenes from YouTube is asking, super curious to know the answer. It's kind of a two-part question. Do you ever feel like you film too much or not enough? And how do you overcome overthinking about it? <laughs> and the second thing is... Uh, average, how much gig of footage for a full trip. So I'm not
1: laughing at Sophie's question. I'm just laughing at how she like hit said overthinking. It's like, that is this one yeah, right here yeah, to a T.
0: So yes, it's funny because on episode two, when we were in Vermont, we were like, Oh, a vacation. Let's make sure that we're not in the back of the camera the entire time and actually like enjoy this, but then make sure we get a good video. And when I came back, I was like, Oh God, we did not shoot enough. Like we did not shoot near enough, but um, while we were there, I was like, we have it in the bag. It's funny, like on the shoot day, I was like, we have something. And then when we get back, I was like, we have something, but it's not very long.
1: But I think also like you were planning on lumping in Vermont with whatever was going to happen because we were going to go to Stowe.
0: Yeah, we were supposed to go to Stowe. And then with the weather, it just didn't work out. And so Vermont was missing its second destination. We wanted to hit two destinations per state. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much, and we we had to cut stow because of weather. So in turn, that made that episode a little bit less dynamic and a little bit shorter. Mm-hmm. So we did the best we could with what we had. But um, yeah, it's, I think we have a pretty good feel for it now, like how much we need to film and what we need to film. Um, I don't like to spend the entire time in the back of the camera. Uh, we like to enjoy our time. You know,
1: We while used to there. do that though, like we in did, Vancouver, yeah. we'd just be like, okay, shoot everything and then figure I out a story and it in edit. edit.
0: Where, yeah, where this time, we... like even before we left we were like okay here's where we're going this is where we're staying this is how long we're staying this is the activity we're gonna do and this is the place we're going to go take pictures because if you notice that there are is like a photography aspect to the series that's something we wanted to incorporate so there was an activity and a photo shoot you will say a photo excursion in every episode and that was listed so we knew when we we're shooting, okay, we need to shoot this and we need to shoot that, and once those things are done, we can be done fi- filming, and then we do our, you know, debrief afterwards mm-hmm. for the footage. Yeah, I think that we have about a terabyte of footage and a terabyte project file, which includes some of those GoPro clips. Yeah, uh, Duwak, I think is this name. I suck at reading. <laughs> How do y'all travel and work together without one person pushing the other out of the helicopter?
1: I think we were just lucky, honestly. Um,
0: I think so too. We've
1: kind of grown into the same person.
0: We work really well together. We've always worked together. I mean, we've been together since
1: like we were in high school. So, and we're definitely we are very different people from when we were in high school. Oh, 100%. But we've kind of grown into very compatible people.
0: Yeah. And we've always worked on projects together. Ever since yeah. we were younger, we always had a little crew. And it was always, you were the video dude and I was the photographer. And then the role somehow got changed. Yes. Yeah.
1: I mean, they didn't get changed because you're still the photographer too. <laughs> True. You just have it all.
0: You know what? You stepped up during the trip and w- got back to your roots and did a bunch of filming. Cause I did a little
1: bit of filming here and there.
0: It's hard to shoot a series. At, when You, you were wanna,
1: You were pleasantly surprised in the editing I, bay.
0: Oh, I was very. And one day you went and shot a bunch of B-roll while I was shooting photos. And I was like, oh. <gasps> This is so nice. My favorite
1: thing is like, if I'm in the other room doing something and she's like editing, I can just hear her in the other room like, ooh, look at this. Ooh, yeah, here we go. You just
0: see different stuff than I see and you shoot in a different way than I shoot. And so, and I'm so sick of my, what I shoot. And every time I shoot, especially the helicopter, it's like, how can I do this differently? But I do have a tendency
1: of doing the Chris Nicholas. um,
0: Overshooting. Yes. Yes. Where it's like 10 clips of a focus rack of like, a that, the one of the leaf, plant. yeah. It <laughs> was like, okay, buy like the perfect focus rack. Just do one or two or three, and then move on. Yeah. <laughs> so I just I just watched the last one. Noted. <laughs> okay. Um. Next, we're gonna get into the art direction. This is this is one question with uh, a lot. Okay. A lot of segments. Should I read the whole thing, or we'll go question by question? Read the whole thing. Okay. This is from Nancy Palm. Thank you so much for uh taking the time to write this because. It was very interesting and I wanted to talk about it. Okay. okay. So Nancy says, first, this went by way too fast. I feel like it did go by really fast. That's what you said. <laughs> Um, loved every minute of it. I would love to hear more details about your process. I love the story behind the name of the series. We didn't talk about that in the podcast. We could t- touch on it in a second. Um, how many logos did you make? How many typefaces did you consider? Can we talk about that vinyl type? What about the icons? Did you style board different titles? Is she graphic designer? It, she must be. Did you seek out <laughs> feedback before making the final branding choices? Uh, Once you had the look and feel down, (laughs) how detailed did you get on the production side? How much scripting did you do? Did you have shot lists for each location? Did you have a general list that you kept updated once you arrived? How did you keep yourself organized for each location? Once you jumped into the timeline, what did you do to speed up the editing process? Oh, has Netflix called because they should. (laughs) (laughs) Nancy, you are the best. (laughs) Thank you so much.
1: I have to say, Nancy is probably your ideal Audience, yeah, (laughs) you're someone who will appreciate.
0: Feel like Nancy and I would be friends.
1: The probably yeah, Yeah. the details that go into this that otherwise normies like me,
0: (laughs) you're like this like looks nice, but
1: wouldn't really notice. I I notice those things because I live it with you, right? Yeah, but like I don't notice those things outside of our own productions.
0: You you said something about kerning the other day. You notice.
1: Yeah, that's because the
0: you notice. <laughs>
1: that was because the, a, the thing that said pen is here and then like <laughs> it said there, here. there's no there's, no, there's space. no space between pen and is. Okay. <laughs> it's so it's like the Pen 15 club. Yeah. You're part of the Pen, pen 15 club? Yeah. Yeah. Can I put it on your can I write on your arm Pen 15 club?
0: Yeah. Okay. Let's answer the questions. Okay. okay. So first of all, give us a cold story behind the name Heading East. Okay.
1: So Heading East uh in aviation or in I think in in like nautical terms as well. Heading is the direction that your vessel is pointed. So your heading is 090. That means your magnetic 90 degrees, which is perfectly heading east. Um, So heading is a big thing for aviation. And so we incorporated that because of that. Now, we also had it we kind of put it heading colon east and that kind of made the connotation of, oh, your heading is east from an aviation standpoint. But then if you just read it heading east, we're like, we're, you can take it on a literal sense. Like, oh, we're heading east. We're just heading that way, east. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of had a double meaning, but it kind of means the same thing, but one on an aviation level and one on a more literal level.
0: Yeah. Also, we worked with a writer to help us craft pitches for the brands that we worked with. Yep. That was
1: our first time doing that.
0: It was, And it was, so good Josh was amazing and he actually has a aviation background as well and he grew up in the New England area which is really helpful so he said like we were kind of riffing on some ideas and you know he came back with some ideas and we had some ideas and ended up combining them but he said that um Maine is called they they call it down east we're going down east so
1: that was one of his suggestions that was one down of his east. suggestions
0: and we didn't go with down east because it was Maine specific but we liked that it had a direction in right. the game,
1: because I assume that people from next to Maine, like New Hampshire and and, and yeah. Vermont, would be like a what? little bit maybe a miffed if we did like a Maine specific thing.
0: Well, I I kept on thinking about like when people called Newfoundland the Maritimes. It's not right. You know, Atlantic so Canada. Yeah, so you kind of have to do your research and make sure that yes, right. It's it's correct. So we that's what we learned. or
1: someone did a series where they visited like Nova Scotia. New Brunswick and Newfoundland and then they use a, a specific uh, a
0: reference in the time. title
1: to just like Nova Cover Scotia
0: it. yeah oh yeah 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 so that was cool working with him and we kind of landed on a name um, and even though we
1: didn't use one that he came up with directly it allowed us to we never would have come up with that name if it wasn't, if it wasn't for, for his ideas yeah. that we used to kind of like build us. So I think it was a true collaboration. A
0: hundred percent. Yeah. He had some great ideas that he brought to the table and it allowed us to think outside the box and land on something. So it was true collaborative for sure. Um, the cool thing about heading east and the meaning behind it, like, you know, the direction or whatever, is that it gives us the ability to expand upon the series. Right. Go in different directions, like heading north, heading west. And that's kind of fun because I want to move in that direction. Heading south, doing more series. Yeah.
1: Heading southwest. Uh, Heading south southwest.
0: (laughs) Southwest west. (laughs) Well, I mean, maybe that's getting a bit too whatever. But like, (laughs)
1: we just go to heading like, and you just go three hundred (laughs) and sixty numbers. Heading zero nine one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, yeah. So that gave us a, a few legs, right? And. I I saw one comment who's like, uh, why didn't you make the middle of the East in the logo, the arrow? And that's because we wanted to keep our options open to, to push that arrow in different directions. Right. Yeah. Okay. It was just
1: coincidental that the E is pointing east that way. Yeah, Yeah.
0: exactly. Okay. How many logos did you make and how many typefaces did you go through? Um, seven. What? I don't
1: know. I'm just just guessing. Just guessing.
0: No, that's not accurate. Chris, you (laughs) have to be accurate. This is a legit question.
1: Okay. All right. Too many.
0: Yeah, there's a lot. Usually when I make logos, I dump it all in an illustrator board and just like go through tons of fonts. I'm not sure 100% how many typefaces I went through, but- in the end, I presented Chris with three logo options.
1: This is amazing? I was the, I was like the client, and she <laughs> like would do these like mood boards and these stylescapes, and then I would just like, oh, I like that, I like that. Like, okay, which one do you like? This one, but why do you like it? Tell me why. Why do you? I was like, I don't know. I just I just like this one, and then sometimes like things look they're both good, so I'll just be like.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: then I have to come up with a bullshit answer about one why one's better than the other.
0: Yeah, but you you uh you humor me with that. I like, do, I do. You, you do it. I think I brought it up on the TV and I was like, all right, sit down, motherfucker. We're going you through did. these logo <laughs> options. You, did.
1: you put it up on the TV as if as if it was like a client presentation. Yeah,
0: I yeah, thought it'd be a it was fun It's a great usual answer.
1: iPad. It was very nice. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um so yeah, we had, you know, three finalized options, which each had like its main logo, its secondary logo, its typeface is what like the little icons are going to look like and then we landed on whatever one it was but i did do a stylescape for the entire series and i didn't do multiple ones i just kind of did one because i knew how i wanted it to feel um in terms of like color scheme and vibes and like uh elements but i just wasn't sure what the typeface and stuff was going to be
1: we just took elements we liked from all of them and combined them for the final
0: we did yeah yeah for sure i think the third one is the one we chose maybe i'll throw a couple up on the screen a couple of the options up on the screen did we seek out feedback before making final branding choices. We didn't. We, um,
1: we, you, 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 you seeked out feedback from me. From
0: you. Yeah, <laughs> I did. Yeah. You know, it's funny with feedback because it's great to get feedback from other people and get critiques, but asking somebody else's opinion on a piece of work that you're doing when they don't have the full picture of what you're going for is challenging because they might not, they might make a decision based off just what they're seeing and not the concept and not the style guide. They don't know
1: what, what, what your the vision, vision your whole vision is. They're only seeing a slice of it and they're bringing in their own biases and their own experience into that. And they're going to like something different than what you necessarily like if they don't know where you're coming from. I don't know. I kind of view it like when you used to do client work Yeah. and you would present your ideas to the client. And you would hope that they would pick the one that you're favorite. Your, they you never
0: know. pick the one that you like the best.
1: Exactly. So, like, my opinion is why, for a project that's literally yours, you are the client, why bring someone else in to just have someone pick something that you don't like as much? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like, this is a personal project for us. Mm-hmm. It's our own project. Yeah. We can make whatever, we can make whatever the hell we want.
0: Yeah. I think that's why. Yeah. One of the reasons why it's like we are our own client and therefore.
1: And don't have uncertainty.
0: No, we just you know what we just decided and then we're like this is it and just yeah. yeah, ran with it. Um once you had the look and feel then how detailed did you get on the production side? We got pretty detailed. I like pulled a Colin and Samir and did the whole post-it note storyboard on the wall with different scenes. Um we knew we wanted to have like the airport tours there, so we picked a song for that that had a vibe and then designed the screens for that, and then I made an edit of blank boxes with titles to say like this was what kind of shit so like an okay
1: i'm going to do the song and then you do like the title that would come up I, can't. I'm too distracted.
0: I don't even think that's close to what i can't even picture what song you're trying to sing which is the
1: airport tour song okay you do it Now i'll do the titles okay ready start
0: <laughs> no i can't this okay, is ready? too stupid 3 sweeping do shot do coming in, in. titles amenities <coughs> <muscles> just talking <laughs> about first amenity <laughs> yeah so we basically had like this is what shot goes here this is what shot goes here so when we went and shot these airport we, we a we knew ahead of time we wanted to do the them yeah we knew we needed like you know five or six different types of shots so we got them and they were different on every time, but we just knew we needed a variety of shots. So we just shot them and we didn't know ahead of time what they were going to be because we didn't know we were going to be landing. Right. So we just knew like kind of, you know, broad yeah. strokes. Of but what you was also
1: like, happen. we also planned out a loose story or what we thought the story would be based on the preliminary, um, itinerary there, but. That of course went out the window. Yeah, But it was good practice. Yes, Because then it's like, if you ever get to a spot and you're like, oh crap, like what are we doing now? You can at least be like, okay, well this is what we were going to do. So this is a very similar location. Okay, we could do a similar thing and you can springboard off of an idea you already had, even though if it's not the same idea.
0: Yeah, I think that's the key is like having a brief idea of what you're gonna do, like these, these trips, we can't really fully plan. But if we went into it and we're just like, oh, we have no plan, we're just gonna wing it then you're shooting everything. yeah, And then you have no concept for like what it's going to be and you're doing it all in post and that's a lot of work. So yeah, like I said, we had like, here's the activity we're going to do. Here's the place we're going to go take pictures and each place is going to have those two elements.
1: But also having like that spontaneity and the fact that we're changing plans as part of the story. Yes. That in itself is part of the story story. yeah Yeah.
0: and so we left room for that it's like you know you plan the airport tour you plan the the photography and the activity and then you just leave the rest for whatever Mm -hmm. and like each intro like while we use different songs for the intros and each intro for the videos were different we still had like the consistency in the titles and how they were put up so there's still a little bit of planning and stuff that went into that how much scripting did you do? Not very much. The only scripting we really did was for the first episode. For at, the the at, the at the beginning, the voiceover. Yeah. Um, and that was to kind of, to set the stage for like why, mm-hmm. the why. Um, did you have shot lists for each location or general list that you updated once you arrived?
1: Uh, shot lists? Yeah,
0: not really. No. Just for the airport tour. And we knew we had to do a debrief at the end of every single night. That was it. And then like, you know, the activity and the photography, but it was like, whatever we're going to shoot there is what we're going to shoot.
1: Yeah. I kind of use like the way I looked at it was like the, all the stuff that we shot during the day was like the sort of raw meat of the program. And then like afterwards, the voiceover was like a crutch if we needed to like string the story together.
0: Yeah. If we, if we forgot to shoot something or we didn't have B roll or something, right? Like we could say, Oh yeah, this is what happened. And we fall back
1: on the, on the interview.
0: That's something that we've learned over time is that the interview is really key for helping to actually make the story better. in the edit.
1: And having you and I
0: telling the story differently, telling
1: the same story differently. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Um, how did you keep yourself organized for each location? Oh, basically use Milanote. I have a, full board for each location and you know what potential camp spots are around and whether these places that we were staying had charge stations or not or we were off grid or whatever so we knew beforehand if we'd have to like charge batteries or whatever yeah, everything color-coded everything was color-coded yeah once you jumped into the timeline what did you do to help speed up the process <laughs> chris was such a savior in this whole thing because oh, i thought
1: you were saying nothing because there's oh. nothing you can do to speed it up it's just like just go through the footage, cull it,
0: be ruthless. Well, no, there was things. You had all of the GoPro footage and the drone stuff all like organized. You had an entire premiere project that was just like... Everything from the GoPro, whether it was FPV, the belly cam shots, which all had to be run through real steady. You had them color graded. You had proxies made because the GoPro clips are incredibly difficult. They're they're hard on the computer. They are. Um, So he had proxies and everything like linked up and stuff. So it was super easy when it came to editing. Like I was going through all my shots, which is very monotonous. But then I knew like, okay, I need a shot from uh, Brunswick airport to Monhegan Island. And he had it labeled in its own sequence and the choice clips put there. So that... I think that saved like two weeks worth of work on my end.
1: The time it took you to like chug through most of that footage on the episodes. You
0: had that GoPro stuff done.
1: It was still, it took me the same amount of time to go through all the GoPro footage. Yeah. I don't, there's so much of it.
0: So much. I don't think I would have had the f- series done had you not done that. It was very helpful. Thank you.
1: Oh, you're welcome. So um, least I could do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then Netflix. Well, I, you know, it's funny because I, I actually looked up uh what the requirements were for netflix and it, you had to have like an extreme cinema camera <laughs> it's like the nope. minimum is like a fx7 oh really yeah that's funny yeah and i was like oh oh okay <laughs> i don't have that camera a7s3 baby <laughs> uh okay we're gonna get into the helicopter questions now these are specific that's so
1: weird that they have like a minimum minimum camera
0: it's really stupid it seems
1: silly because it's like what about like 10 years ago? Would the minimum of camera been like an HVX 200, which is now yeah. like totally obsolete?
0: I think it, in the next couple of years, we're going to see that changing.
1: Oh, 100%. Yeah. Especially yeah. as like- Cameras don't matter. They don't. At all.
0: At all. Yeah. We shot Cold Island on a entry-level APS-C camera. Yeah. An it was A60. on the A6400. A6 right. And like a $500 lens, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Helicopter questions. Heath Barlow asks, what up itches- question how much life is left in the millennium falcon the millennial falcon and how and do you have any plans for getting another when its time is up thanks motherfuckers
1: <laughs> <what> they said <laughs>
0: yeah they said that <laughs> oh boy the millennial falcon yeah
1: the uh, millennial falcon times out in 2023
0: how much time is left on it so like we got hours?
1: two hours and maybe like a couple hundred hours left on it
0: two hours Two years years. and a couple hundred hours. And a
1: couple hundred hours, yeah.
0: Do we have a plan on getting another one when the time's up?
1: So we've thought about
0: We've We've extensively talked about this. We've extensively
1: talked about what to do when this time's out. And the options are sell it as a timed out core. We did a whole video on like helicopter economics and how Robinson helicopters in specific work. And after 12 calendar years or 2,200 flight hours, um, they have to be rebuilt or overhauled, uh, which is not an insignificant amount of money. Um, so the question then becomes, you know, we bought this with, it had about four and a half, almost five years left on the front airframe and about, you know, f- 400 hours ish. So it worked out to be like, we could fly like 80 ish hours a year. Um, and that's pretty much what we budgeted as like pr- a pr- private pilot, basically, and, you know, not do this commercially. And that's a lot of flight time for like a private person. Mm-hmm. So when it when it comes down to this thing timing out we can either sell it as a timed out core for someone else to buy and then th- with the intent for them to rebuild it and either you fly it or sell it or we could take on the overhaul and have it rebuilt um either by the official robinson factory in torrance california or by a third party um maintenance house that's authorized to do um robinson maintenance so we kind of toyed with the ideas, and I think what we're leading to is having it overhauled by Robinson. That's kind of, I had to make a choice right now, that's what I would say.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. It's well, th- I think, like, when you get into buying, I, I don't think we really thought about this when we bought the Millennial Falcon, but, like, when you get into buying, like, used aircrafts, like, you don't know what really, like, you have the maintenance logs, but you really don't know if people are how they're treating their aircrafts and No, 100% not. how they're flying them, right? Yeah.
1: And like you don't there's certain things where if you go over maximums then it's like telltale and but a lot of a lot of that is like kind of the honor system. Like if you kind of like overspeed your rotor, there's no like flag in the helicopter that says like, "Oh, rotor is oversped, please do an official inspection." Mm-hmm. It was just now we know,
0: would do an official inspection oh, yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. we don't around.
1: Right. Exactly. Or if you had an engine over speed, or if you, you like, it's all, a lot of it is just kind of like self-reporting. Yeah. You know, the other thing is like weight and balance. It's like, you know, they have a cargo hook on the bottom of it. Who knows how many times they were slinging cargo that was overweight, over gross weight, mm-hmm. you know, and that was, that, did that stress the transition or like how, manifold pressure? You know, those are all maximums you have to adhere to on the honor system. You know, yeah. there's no like flag in the, com- in the helicopter computer. There's no helicopter computer. It's all manual right. aircraft. Right. Yeah. So, when you we've had this aircraft now we've flown a couple hundred hours on it so we like know this aircraft very well and it's 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 kind of proven itself to be reliable to us Mm -hmm. but like buying a new used aircraft that's at its end of life hours wise it's a big gamble you take again so it's kind of like the devil you know versus the devil you don't and right now we we know 300 whiskey zulu pretty well yeah we do and yeah
0: yeah and i think too like with the overhaul like yeah it's a significant amount of money but like you're coming away with a brand new aircraft for half the cost of a brand new aircraft. Right. Which is, yeah. So, yeah. So, maybe there's a heading west in our future.
1: Maybe, maybe for the overhaul.
0: That might, that would be a, that would be a big boy project. That's like a that's cold a, island project. That's a
1: big ass trip. Also, like the whole like process of overhauling a helicopter. Oh, God.
0: And then, you know. No, no, I mean,
1: I mean I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, like how interesting would that be? Oh,
0: yeah. But you know what's going to be sad though? Hmm. When we overhaul it, we probably won't have the matte black paint anymore because they only only have a specific amount of colors. Oh, that's the thing too.
1: Yeah. Like when you're doing a field overhaul, you can overhaul, you you have to overhaul all of like the mechanical components, like the life limiting parts, but you don't have to. You don't have to repaint it. You don't have to reupholster it. You don't have to do anything and cosmetic. This
0: time, everything has to be done.
1: But when you go to the factory, like they have factory standards. Like, no, you don't have a helicopter come out of an overhaul at Robinson and don't get it fully redone to the point where it looks brand new.
0: Yeah, because that's on them too. It's like Right, it's like, their yeah, reputation. Yeah, we actually uh, over the summer did a Robinson helicopter factory tour, and we never talked about it. Maybe we'll do a full podcast and talk about talk about that because yeah. that was pretty cool. Pretty it's very interesting. interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna move on. JB Meth asks, Becky, you seem a lot more comfortable and confident in the helicopter this series. What has changed?
1: Did she? I don't think she did.
0: Yeah. You know what's changed? What? I've started going to therapy. Oh. And I have been working through... Uh, catastrophizing and worst case scenarios and worrying about dying. And it has (laughs) helped. Now, I, I still had a panic attack one day in the helicopter. We didn't film it, but it was very bumpy and I was very sick. And I basically had a panic attack and started crying and was like, we had to land. And it was just, we didn't film that, but I was worried about something that was en route that to was, Saratoga. Yeah. That, that wasn't realistic. And after we had a conversation, you explained to me why it wasn't realistic. I was like, okay. Um, the bumpiness is, but real- I can't
1: do that in the air. Like I'm no, flying, you can't right? Because
0: you're, yeah, exactly. So I'm trying to quietly have a panic attack to myself.
1: <laughs> I can still Which, hear her whimpering over the, yeah. uh, the comms,
0: but, um, yeah, I think I was still a little neurotic and, um, but you know, I think that the therapy is really helping because I'm able to talk myself down also with the nausea. Like I, There were a couple of times where I was feeling a little bit sick up there, but I actually kind of realized that like sometimes I think that my motion sickness is brought on by anxiety. Like my anxiety makes it more heightened so sometimes i have to say like hey do i feel like i'm gonna barf because i'm actually motion sick or do i feel like i'm gonna barf because i'm anxious about potentially getting motion sick or i'm <laughs> anxious about flying?" Thing. That, i
1: don't listen, have to worry about any of that just this is why
0: i'm in therapy so honestly i think the therapy <laughs> is helping i think i was definitely a little bit sketched though sometimes but i also think too like there's a, a number of times during the series where i had tasks to do you know i'm um, gonna
1: tell you man i know you don't want to fly but you will not be motion sick or worried at all. If you're like actually having like to fill your mind with things and tasks. Mm -hmm. In fact, some of the most stressful times objectively from my perspective, uh, you have been the least anxious because I've given you stuff to do (laughs) to unload. Like
0: like when we uh, had a radio comms malfunction or like when we almost ran out of gas um, up to Newfoundland.
1: I was going to talk about that. That was the spot when I was talking about when we were, like hypermiling it in the helicopter. That was fucking scary. But like, I was
0: shaking so hard and I was trying to like, we didn't film it because- But you didn't freak the fuck out. No, I didn't because I had- I gave chip. you
1: eight points. I gave you times and I was okay. All right, follow us on the map. And yeah. we hit waypoint A, B and C. You have to be, we have to be less than this endurance. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, five minutes here, 10 minutes here. And you did that? Yeah.
0: And Afterwards, I, I fucking chipped myself.
1: Yeah, we were fine then.
0: Oh Yeah. Listen, I think that sometime in- If you guys a,
1: haven't seen Cold Islands, that was episode two. Yeah. Um, and if you watch that, you'll know what we're talking about.
0: That was my favorite episode from that entire series. There are moments from the other episodes that I really liked that, you know, but that was my favorite full episode from that series, episode two. I mean, I think from it Cold told, Island.
1: objectively, it told the best story.
0: Well, that when looking back on it, that was my favorite because I think the story was good. And that was the only one where we did a debrief. And that's why we did debriefs in every single episode during Heading East.
1: Right, that's something That's what we, we learned. Away. Yeah. It's yeah. um, more cohesive too.
0: Yes. Okay. Uh DJ Ellie I L L E E. Illy. DJ Illy. Illy. Like Ill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. DJ Illy says, fantastic series. I'm loving these. Question on the helicopter. I noticed that you're always moving forward for takeoff. Couldn't you just descend straight up until you reach a certain altitude? I clearly have no idea what I'm talking about, but I thought it was one of the th- advantages of having a helicopter over wings.
1: That is true. That is a very astute observation. And most people think, oh, you have a helicopter, you just go up, down, left, right, whatever. You can do all that and you can move in 3D space exactly however you want, essentially. Um, But what you don't, you do have to take into consideration, though is what the safest maneuvers are. And there's something called a height velocity diagram or uh, colloquially known as a dead man's curve. And what that is, is a graph that shows a combination of heights and velocities uh, which to avoid. And generally speaking, um, you want to avoid flying uh, outside of those curves. And so flying straight up with zero forward airspeed, there's going to be a uh, a large part of that ascent where you'd be flying technically in dead man's curve. And that just means that if you had an engine failure, you would have a harder time executing a successful um, emergency landing or auto rotations, we call it Uh, because as most people people don't realize, but you can actually glide in a helicopter. As long as you have rotor RPM, you're fine. So the act of, if you've got forward airspeed or you have enough altitude, that's all potential energy that you can use to continue to your rotors spinning. And then you can use that to kind of cushion your landing at the very end. And you can actually glide and crash land a helicopter and actually get on the ground unscathed as long as you have enough potential energy. And that's in forward airspeed is also altitude. So if you are lacking in any of those departments, i.e. you're flying really low or you're flying... Um, with not a lot of forward airspeed, then you may not be able to successfully execute an auto rotation.
0: Yeah. Um, the only a couple of times where we go straight up is when you're in confined spots where you don't have room to go forward and you get up and then you start going forward as soon as you can start going forward.
1: Yeah. Like I'll gain, I'll try to get up to, up to speed sooner rather than later, but I don't like dump the nose over to the point where no, you're, you're, you're aggressive attitude going forward. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. If you have to get, if you're trying to get out of a confined area and like the only option is uh-oh. going straight up versus hitting trees, obviously you're going to go straight up.
0: Yeah. Um, there was one question that I saw about my door. I think this has come up a number of times over the, <laughs> the years.
1: 2007 model.
0: Yeah. Oh my God, your door's open, but it, that came along with um, can you open the door mid-flight? So first of all, if you see uh, my door on the top of my door during the series, it looks like it, there's a gap there. It looks like it's open. It's sucking out because we have those like curved windows. So when the when we're flying, it's. sucks it out so my door is actually broken the bottom latch works the top latch doesn't and in order to get it fixed we'd have to send the full door back to the robinson factory and potentially not have a door for six months which is just well
1: i don't think it's gonna be six months but Uh, it might be be months yeah Yeah. we're just
0: gonna fix it on the overhaul yeah it's 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 not unsafe it's fine we just make sure that we're latched and and locked
1: so can you open the door during flight yes is it recommended no because those little cotter pins um or the door hinges are very uh janky not janky, but they're just very...
0: Loose? They're they, not like a car door.
1: They're basic, right? Yeah. They're literally just pins in a little circle.
0: Yeah. So, so that's what happened when the pin fell down into the door. Oh, I was
1: talking about the hinges. So oh, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. want to open the door during flight. Because I said, can you open the door during flight? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I wouldn't want to open the door during flight, but you can fly with the door off. Yeah. It doesn't make a difference, really. It's just a little bit cold in the wintertime.
0: Yeah. It's cold in in the wintertime with the doors on because my door sucks. That's what out, I mean, yeah, and It's like cold breeze on my neck the whole time. Yeah. It's freezing. Okay. So that's it for the helicopter questions. I got a couple of rapid fire questions. Not many, but um, somebody made a comment about the log cabin, maple syrup that we had during the pancake. <laughs> noted, scene. Noted. Listen, there's not a lot of options when you are uh, traveling isn't via that, helicopter. Isn't the, the,
1: the maple syrup company formerly known as Aunt Jemima. Yeah, I it's like so. the most basic fake, fake ass maple syrup yeah. from the grocery store. So
0: what happened there is that we were, we landed in Concord. We went to Target to find groceries because we, we had no food. So we wanted to get a steak to make over the fire. And we were like, well, we should get pancake mix so we can make something for breakfast. We had to have syrup. There's no like special, we didn't see any specialty places. We're in Target that, here now, guys. Target <laughs> in the middle of, you know, the woods kind of thing. Yeah. So, you know, I got what we could get, but don't worry because- Coincidentally enough. When we were in uh, New Hampshire, we got some smoked maple syrup from a store in Portsmouth.
1: Yeah, so that was kind of like that was the maple syrup we did need. Yes, because it was very fancy. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, noted.
0: It's in a beautiful old glass. Definitely <laughs> someone
1: comment chirp oh, us. Oh, it's so funny. You're cabin.
0: in Vermont and you're using log cabin maple syrup.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was yes. like,
0: yes. <laughs> um, do you keep any safety types of equipment with you in case some wild animals appear?
1: Yes. We carry bear spray.
0: Yes. We carry bear spray and a a machete and there's a knife as well.
1: Yeah. Although I don't think a machete and a knife are going to do much with a bear is coming at you. We
0: carry, actually, we had two cans of bear spray, one each. So with the new, the new tent we have, there's like two vestibules, which is kind of actually, I saw a video on YouTube a number of months ago, a guy who's like was camping and there was a bear outside and he only had one door and the bear was like at the door. It was like, wow, it'd be really shitty if you couldn't get out you the back. You don't go back door. No, so we get, we have, there's a door on each side of our tent now. Mm-hmm. So we each keep a can of bear, bear. I don't know, man,
1: like if you had a door one, if you had a bear on one side, would you exit the back of the tent? Because the bear would be like, oh, no, there you are.
0: But you could open and if the bear was there and you had to deploy your bear spray, you could get out. Get out, out of the tent, yeah.
1: Be, rather than filling yourself. your tent full of bear spray and then you're. Yeah. crying as well
0: they actually recommend you keep the bear spray canister within the vestibule but outside of the tent so you don't r- roll over on it and open it up interesting yeah um my question for you mm-hmm. is what actually i have two questions first okay. of all um first of all what was your favorite location that we like landed or like the one that blew you away the most or was the most unexpected that you enjoyed significantly
1: oh man <sighs> It's either Monhegan Island or Jewel Island. Yeah. One of the islands. Okay. Why? Just because landing on islands is just <laughs> my favorite thing. It's
0: just about landing on the island.
1: Correct. Yeah, no, no, but th- I think both destinations were like very unique. Yep. And both were very fun. Mm-hmm. Monhegan Island was probably the most challenging landing from a,
0: from like a technical standpoint. Technical standpoint. Really, that was more challenging than a, uh, than Jewel Island? Oh, that
1: was easy. Thousand Islands area was easy.
0: Really? There's so many trees and like... Oh,
1: yeah, but there's no wind. I suppose. The only tricky thing was is the ground wasn't quite level. Yeah. Way to flip it kind of sideways And but with Monhegan Island it was more difficult because there was a significant wind coming off the ocean.
0: That's right. Yeah, there was. And I forgot about that.
1: So in aviation, normally the general consensus is you always land into wind but then there's also other competing factors where you want to approach sort of the safest approach. So you don't like... Want to like overfly houses. And if you're coming in from like, you're not going to like come over the top of a hill and then like land down with your tail uphill. But in this instance, like Monhegan Island, the property was sloping down and there were significant trees and then other houses. So I wasn't going to come over. If I was coming into wind, I'd be like flying over all of that stuff um, in a very weird way. So you generally want to kind of, the best way was to kind of approach kind of around the side or straight in but if you're coming straight in you're literally approaching downwind and downwind approaches are dangerous because you can if you're not careful get in something called vortex ring state where you essentially get caught in your own rotor downwash, and you'll rapidly dis- uh, descend and the only way to get out of that is well there's a couple different there's two different ways to get out of it but it's it's difficult to get out of it without losing a decent amount of altitude and if you lose altitude when you're Close to the ground, you yeah. crash into the ground. Yeah. So yeah, downwind landings freak me out because there are so many accident reports about them, and I'm very cautious about it. So that I found that very technically challenging. Mm-hmm. I kind of split the difference and kind of came around the side, um, and so I was coming with a crosswind, um, which is
0: is pretty sketchy too. <laughs> which is
1: also something to avoid because you can have sudden unexpected yaws. There's also accident reports about that too. So from a technical standpoint, that was the hardest landing. Yeah. And I don't think there was an easy way to land coming into wind Mm -hmm. so it's just something you just got to be really careful take it cautious and slow
0: i wonder if that's why tom's pilot comes super early in the morning when the wind is at its lowest he
1: might but i noticed that he just basically just goes straight in yeah which technically would have him at a perfect downwind landing and by perfect i mean not perfect as in like ideal but meaning the tail was right up his arse or the wind was right up his arse yeah which is fine again you can do downwind landings but i'm just very nervous about them
0: yeah well fair enough yeah yeah um, so that was your favorite landing, but it was also the most challenging. Was that also your favorite like place that we explored and stayed?
1: And also I liked the, not the venue, but I liked the destination too. It was very, around a lot of Newfoundland.
0: Yeah. I found- What Mon- was yours? Monhegan Island, I think was my favorite because- not only did it remind me of home, but it felt like this surreal storybook setting. Yes. Because it was lovely weather. and Oh my God, the weather was perfect. It was so perfect. And we got there. We were and, out at
1: night in like t-shirts.
0: Yeah, we went out. So we got in and we ate. And I think that we had to move the helicopter and it was sunset. So we went for a flight. And we didn't have a lot of time because we had to leave early in the morning because the wind was going to get high towards the evening the next day. So, well,
1: towards the... Midday. Midday. It was supposed to be really windy. Yeah.
0: So we were like, okay, we're going to make the most of it. We're going to stay out late and we're going to go shooting. And so we were out and it it was like blue hour and then it got dark and it was so calm. And we went up and hiked up to the top of the lighthouse and just overlooking Monhegan Island and like the golden like sunset in the background and all of the lights from the houses. The yellow, amber, incandescent
1: lights from the houses.
0: Yeah. It was just one of those moments where you just sit there and you just you take a breath and smell the air and you take it all in like every feeling, like what the air feels like on your body, how things smell, what everything is looking like and just like sit in that moment for a minute. That was just the best. And then, you know, going and staying in that little inn that we stayed in, it was so Newfoundland. Mm-hmm. you know um i loved that and then you know when we got up in the morning and we went down to the shipwreck it was like everything was close and it was easy to get the places to get photos it just felt like a little storybook i think that was like they were so all Monheating
1: island was your favorite
0: yeah they were all good and we really enjoyed like every like i enjoyed every place we went i would go back to every single one of those places
1: you know what's funny what is that like i didn't think you were gonna go for it Monhegan? I assume that you were going to be like, absolutely no way. We're flying to an island that's five minutes off the coast over open water. Not doing it. But
0: we did it in Newfoundland.
1: I know. But I'm just. It was
0: only five minutes. If it was longer, I don't I don't think I would have done it. No, but if I mean. If it was 20 minutes, I would have been. I mean, you saw my face. Maybe I should roll a clip because this didn't <laughs> go in the thing. I, like, I was like so scared that I spent half the flight to Monhegan Island with my eyes closed because it was windy. Uh-huh.
1: It was, oh, bu- it was
0: bumpy and then i was like oh shit i gotta film so i opened my eyes and i was like <laughs> you're over open water <laughs> open over, over, i'm just trying to film what i could film at what and trying to like be like okay telling my anxiety to get fucked and like trying to like get this but like so i'd be like filming and be like oh my god oh my god oh my god okay okay, okay. it was a uh, pretty intense <laughs> And <laughs> the landing was scary too. I I found, I'm glad I didn't know that, that, that you found that uh, really sketchy. <laughs> I mean,
1: just a lot to think about, right?
0: I figured you did because once we landed on the crest on the pad, and you were like, "This isn't like you. You moved it a bunch of times to get it right." Because well, were that really part happy. of the
1: landing, like once I'm like in a hover, yeah. I consider that I've already landed. I've already overcome okay. the hard part. Yeah, yeah. Finding a level spot is fine for me, mm-hmm. but I was trying to. I knew that he had told me that he needed me to reposition to the lower pad, and I didn't really know exactly which one he was talking about. Right. Because he he told me he's like, "Yeah, my pilot's coming to pick me up tomorrow morning." So at some point, you'll have to move your aircraft. So on our initial approach. I was going to just move it to a spot so he could still land. And rather than just trying to figure out that, I just like, okay, I'm just going to put it here. He's told me just reposition it later. I'll just reposition it later. And he'll tell me exactly where he wants me. Yeah, And it was actually the lower pad.
0: We didn't even see it when we were... No, exactly. Yeah. 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 I really liked Monhegan and and Tom was super nice. Um, I have a... Like, I wish that we got to go to more locations up front. Like I wish we got to make it to Stowe and a couple of the places that we wanted to photograph, but with the mountains being, you know, being a little bit unpredictable in some of those peaks and with the hurricane and stuff, we just didn't make it. And, uh, I, I think too, like you're more cautious at the beginning of the trip than you are at the end when you're like, Oh, I have 10 days, like, or like six days left. And I'm like already through half these destinations. Now we can start staying places longer or adding places. Um, I I think I'd like to go back and have like a vacation for like two weeks or even a week in Vermont, just or New Hampshire or Maine, like spend one full week in one of those states. Yeah. You can't
1: do any place justice by just going to two spots or one spot.
0: Yeah. And it's hard to like, it'd be nice to go and then like have a car as well to get to all these places. Cause a lot of the places like we wanted to stay at Franconia and we didn't make it there because the hurricane was coming, but and also, I, apparently, the mountains there are really, like, can be unpredictable as well. Kind of like Mount Washington area. But somebody said that Franconia is known for, like,
1: yeah, stuff. Yeah,
0: Yeah. So, anyway, we wanted to land there. But, like, even after looking at it, it was like, okay, we, we're going to land here. But, like, there's no way for us to get a car to go to this place that we want to shoot. Well, you can and arrange
1: can, a, an FBO to...
0: There's no, the, There was no FBO close by. Oh, yeah, I suppose. Right? So that's the challenging part. It's like, we want to go here, and we can land at this airport, but it's a grass strip. There's no FBO. There's no car rental. And the place we want to photograph is 30 minutes away, but we can't get there via helicopter, and we can't see it via helicopter because it's like...
1: Down in the gorge. Down in the gorge. Flume Gorge is where you wanted to go, right? That's where I wanted to go, yeah. yeah.
0: So anyway, there's these places that it would be fun to like fly out there and then get a car and like bomb around for you know week or whatever and just go mm-hmm. shooting pictures and just have it at like a ph- photography thing so
1: i need your one wheel in your uh in your booster board
0: i saw somebody riding a one wheel pint today and the front part looked like it had little wheels on it to prevent going over the edge oh. i don't know if that's something new they added or if that's like oh, an wow. aftermarket piece
1: yeah i've uh, i've done that like once yeah i have to do it once that's
0: why i won't ride one wheel i'm terrified <laughs> but if it had wheels maybe it wouldn't be so bad
1: so then we'll actually you know it's a philosophical question is it still a one wheel
0: <laughs> I have one more question. Okay, before we clue this up, mm-hmm. um out of all five episodes, which why did my
1: fart stink so bad?
0: Yeah, why did you fart in your sleeping bag and then sniff it on camera? <laughs> did I do that when? Yeah, in the behind the scenes. I don't know if it made it in or not, but you were like farting in your sleeping bag and s- so I was like, "What are you doing?" You're like farting and sniffing it, and I'm like, "Why Ew. are you doing that?" And you're like, "You got to do it." I was well, like, "Ew, not a lie," but and then you fell asleep. <laughs> You're such a character. Anyway. Which one was your favorite oh, episode? Oh, uh, Islands. Islands. Number Islands. five. five. Yeah. Number five was also- The one that's not favorite. done yet. <laughs> I think that number five was the most- uh, Yeah, there was the most dynamic from a location and movement standpoint and also a lot of, a lot of stuff happened. In it was episode. the only
1: episode, aside from the last half of Maine, that required a helicopter. It was unique to a helicopter. The yep. way I kind of look at it is- And I don't think anybody who's actually watching it on- you know, as a series for entertainment is ever going to think this, but from my standpoint is you could do all the stuff that we did at the first half of the of the series with a plane. Yeah. But the only things that you couldn't do with a plane would be in the last half of the series, like the landing at the tent landing on Monhegan Island landing in the thousand islands that obviously requires a helicopter. And that's, I think that's what makes it unique.
0: And that's that, why it's so fun, but also so scary.
1: So fun. Scary. no, I think your definition of scary is my definition of fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. What was your favorite episode? Five. Number five?
0: When I was editing, I thought it was three mm-hmm. because I really enjoyed the cabin. Three being um, New Hampshire. New Hampshire because I really enjoyed the cabin and the fire and stuff. I think it mm-hmm. was a, I think it was a good episode. But then, I don't know, I, I just liked how Monhegan came together. And I think I just had a feeling about the island. And uh, four was a bitch and a half to edit. It was, I think it was a good episode, but man, those fucking crickets. Oh, so uh, four
1: was the tent in Maine and York.
0: Yeah, I think that was, I I like that episode as well, but the audio was very challenging to edit because half the voiceover was shot in the tent and the crickets were so loud. Yeah. And it was hard to hear the audio. So we had to like try to remove the cricket sound, but in turn it kind of like, you know, you can only take out so much before your audio starts to fall apart. Yeah and uh, so but i still think that we did the best with what we were given and as long know, as you can
1: understand it it's fine it's not
0: you're filming in a tent with no power and lights that right. are run by batteries and you're doing it in a time crunch because you're trying to pack up and trying to get out of there but you have to do the debrief before you leave correct yeah there's a lot of factors right that play into factors. like you know it you you look back on some of these some of these pieces of the of the series where it's like oh I would have changed, you know, how this was set up or the studio shot here or what we said. But like a lot of times we are like nine o'clock at night. We're leaving the next morning. We're exhausted from filming all day long. Now we had to sit here, do, set up lights, get a good shot in like whatever room that we're given that night, Yeah. get the lapels out and then try to recall what we did all day yeah. and then have it come out like as a, a sentence that makes sense.
1: And then also... Dump all the footage and do data management.
0: Yeah, and then and and do it twice because you have to do it. And I have to yeah, do it.
1: And then charge all your stuff.
0: And then charge all your stuff. So. And do it again the next day. Yeah, it's, it's a not lot. really a vacation, is it? It's not. No, I think that we need a. Vacation. Oh, and then
1: find a, and then find the where we're going to stay for the next two days because it's all booked up on Labor Day weekend.
0: Oh yeah, we forgot about that, yeah. didn't we? Yeah, every single day, pretty much of the trip, while we were filming, doing our activities, going to shoot photos, dumping cards, charging stuff, filming our debriefs, we also had to figure out what we we're doing the next day, yeah. and because we couldn't. We couldn't decide.
1: That's the benefit though of the off airport stuff. Yeah. It didn't require, like, those were, while they were the most challenging to f- identify and find they were also the most flexible because it's not like there's vacancy how to worry about. Like no one's going to like, I just called that dude up and was like, yeah, you like show up whenever next week. Sure. Whatever. Just give me a heads up. The the tenter, day before. You mean No, that, well the tenter, but you had to book. So that was still yeah. kind of, Oh, you
0: mean Monhegan Island?
1: I mean like Monhegan Island. It's just like, yeah, show up anytime of the week. Just give me like 24 hours notice just so I'm here. Yeah. And I can meet you or whatever. And then, and then a thousand, no, a thousand islands.
0: Jewel. Oh, that when you're camping, on somebody else's property that's not for a business. Right. Yeah, it's super. They're pleasant. just
1: like, yeah, whatever, show up, whatever. Yeah. Cool, whatever.
0: That was a great night. It was that good. was like that camping that night where like the the temperature didn't go below the dew point or whatever and it what nothing got moist cuz mm-hmm. I was fully expecting as the sun went down for cuz it was a bit chilly that everything salt. was going to get soaked. Yeah. And it was going to be uncomfortable and I was going to be chilled and didn't, not sleeping, but the dew didn't come and it was Friggin' glorious Phenomenal. and we're just sitting there on like their picnic table and we fired up the stove and we had hot chocolates and we we're just sipping that keeping warm and then we got in the bed like by nine o'clock i think we were in the sack mm-hmm. gotten to sleep out of it and uh, it was a comfortable night because we brought lovely. our we bought our bigger sleeping bags this time and very comfortable yeah it was great speaking
1: yeah. of going to bed i am tired right now me too all and right we've been recording now for over an hour so we are
0: gonna call it uh done on the uh, after show 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 edition edition. of tuxedo time uh let us know if you like this format and if you'd like to see uh the after show for the rest of the bigger projects that we do this year we have a couple of ideas of things that we want to do this year not so much series but more like i don't know i'd like to make a documentary like film i'd like to make a 30 45 minute like like film for our channel
1: You can do whatever you want. Fuck it. It's our channel.
0: We're going to have to go dark and then do that again. There you go. Okay. Well, thank you guys so much for watching. If you want to check out Heading East, I'll leave it in the description box. And uh, we will see you in the next one.